0: Well, the ladies uh, had a wonderful time at women's retreat, and um, I got to preach five times this week already, so hopefully I'm warmed up now. And we had a great time looking at being a balanced woman of God in a very unbalanced world. So turn with me once again to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we've been taking a break from our usual practice of just preaching verse by verse, and we have been in the Gospel of John for a number of months now. But we're taking a little break. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 is our home base for our our topical study here in parenting for God's glory. Parenting for God's glory. And so we're in our second or third week here in doing this. Our culture today, I think, could be characterized as experiencing what we might call a crisis of respect. And I think this is most evident among children. There was a Harris poll conducted in 2013, and it asked 2,250 adults to compare their memory of school when they were a kid to school now. 79% of them said that when they were in school, students respected teachers. Only 31% of them believe that that's true today. Uh, One school official diagnosed her view of the problem with a very honest observation. She said, quote, We have gone from a time when parents believed what the teacher said in regards to their child's behavior and reacted accordingly to the present time where parents stare in disbelief and think of a million excuses as to why their child misbehaves. And that has been the norm now. Just a couple of years ago, Dr. Leonard Sachs, he's a physician and a psychologist, he wrote a book called The Collapse of Parenting, How We Hurt Our Kids When We Treat Them Like Grownups. Now, to my knowledge, Dr. Sachs doesn't claim to be a believer, but he makes some very interesting and, and really astute observations He boils the whole argument down to a a pithy summary of children in homes today. He says, quote, kids today are out of shape, disrespectful, and in charge. That's a brilliant observation. He gives an example of a mother visiting his office, his doctor's office, and she brings her 10-year-old son who's complaining of stomach problems. And as the mom is talking, the boy says, quote, shut up, mom. You don't know what you're talking about. And then the kid laughed and mom didn't do anything. And he said, that's normal. That's typical now. What does he give as the first line of defense to undo this pattern in the family? He says, teach humility. And he says this, kids have been indoctrinated into their own awesomeness with no understanding of how this culture of bloated self-esteem leads to resentment. And he gives an example of a 25-year-old Girl or girl rather, who at the age of twenty five is disappointed by life because she had been raised to believe the legend of her own uh, her own wonder, her own inherent amazingness, and when life didn't go the way she wanted, now she's shocked. But what's interesting about this book to me is it's not a book bashing kids; it's a book bashing parents. He blames parents, and he sees this as, as his defense of children. He sees this as a form of abuse of children to not make them respect and not insist on that submission. His observations are accurate, but then, of course, as, a, as not a person who claims Christ, he runs out of steam when he gets to the actual cure, and he doesn't have any ultimate answers. What he says is that it 's the job of the parents to teach the meaning of life, and that we must have the answer to that question. well, thankfully, as believers in Christ who hold in our hands an inherent inherent inspired, inspired Word of God, we have all the answers. we have those answers, so whether we understand we can understand, for example, from jeremiah seventeen nine that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, who can understand it? So we understand depravity, we can understand that humility is totally contrary to our nature pride is exactly our nature and that the pride of humanity brings judgment we can understand isaiah 2 11, that the haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled and the lord alone will be exalted in that day we can understand very clearly proverbs sixteen eighteen that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall But even more than just understanding the depravity of humanity, and and Scripture is very clear about that, that sin reigns in our hearts because of the imputed sin that comes from our father, Adam, and that we have a need for imputed righteousness from Christ. And more than that, what the Bible does for us is gives us a a broad, amazing spiritual context for respect and for submission of children to parents and, and respect and submission to authority in general. And this context comes from Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, God gave the law to Moses to impart to the newly formed nation of Israel. And this law contained a constitution, as it were, a a document which really summarized, encapsulated God's requirements for his people. And this constitution was entitled the Ten Words or the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. And the fifth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 12, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has giving you. Forty years after issuing this original constitution, the issuing of the Ten Commandments, Moses preached a series of sermons to the second generation of Israelites. This is a, uh, recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. And he gave the commandments once again. The Deuteronomy version of the Fifth Commandment is slightly expanded. It has divine commentary to go with it. Deuteronomy five sixteen honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is given you. So the the law of Moses, the old covenant, this has expired. It expired at the death of Christ. It is replaced now by the new covenant, and we're not under Old Testament law. That's no longer the means by which a, a faithful Jew would express his love for Yahweh. But certain portions of the law have been reiterated. They've been reinstituted, as it were, as recorded in the New Testament. And so, in our text today, of course, in, in Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul is confirming that under the New Covenant, under the law of Christ now, which is the means by which the faithful worshiper of Christ expresses his love for Christ, this command is once again required of believers. And Paul quotes almost verbatim the Deuteronomy 5 version of the fifth commandment. And so we see it here in Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so basically what we're doing in this series is just taking this section of scripture apart piece by piece our our basic premise is that as we saw last week that the apostle paul is speaking to believing children in verse one they are those who can do what is right they are those who can logically understand that they are in the lord and then the believing parents are spoken to in verse four that the duty to submit to the Lord, both as a child who submits to parents and as a parent who submits to Christ in obeying these admonitions to raise their children this way, it's done out of love and obedience to Christ in order to honor God. And that's why we're calling this parenting for God's glory. And to a certain degree, I think we ought to be very thankful that we're responsible for obedience. We're not responsible for results. Uh, Many other disclaimers have said past performance is not indicative of future results, and we apply that to our parenting as well, and some of you with multiple kids, you understand this. You might have had four kids in a row who are easy to raise, compliant, respectful, and you start to kind of think, I think I've got this thing down. And then out from the womb comes this alien child who is in a bad mood. He has a half-finished cigarette hanging out of his hand, his mouth. He's got an iPad in his hand, and he's just finished ordering $1,000 worth of uh, non-refundable video games on your Amazon account, and he didn't use Amazon Prime because he was just born, and so it's going to cost you 100 bucks in shipping, and you're not even out of the hospital yet. You go to the doctor and you say i'd like a refund please and he says no and he laughs maniacally and walks down the hall as he gives you your baby and you think what what happened i had four such easy ones and this one just came straight from the pit of hell what happened because past performance is not indicative of future results every child yes is born in the image of god but every child is born broken and with a sin nature that some cover up with self-righteousness better than others. And I would say that the first four kids are more dishonest than the fifth one. The fifth one's actually living according to his nature. And you just know, as you're driving home, glassy-eyed, I've got about 20 years of battles ahead of me here. So let's address this principle of respectful submission as we work our way phrase by phrase through Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, today we're simply considering in verse 2, honor your father and mother. We'll consider the second half of verse 2 and then verse 3 next time. Uh, to help us organize this, I want to just ask and answer three what questions. First, what does it mean to honor your father and mother? Second, what are the larger implications of honoring your father and mother? And then, as I promised, we're going to make this as practical as we can. Our third question is, what are some ways to naturally engender honor besides just insisting on it? And so we'll work through these one at a time. The first what question, what does it mean to honor your father and mother? What does it mean to honor your father and mother? We'll spend most of our time on this question. The the theological foundation is the most important part of this piece. And we've already talked about the obey In verse 1, the implication is that Paul is speaking to children who have claimed to be believers in Christ. They are responsible essentially for one duty, and that is to obey their parents. Why? Because they are in the Lord. And we saw that Paul uses that phrase 47 times in the New Testament, and he's always speaking of those who are in Christ, those who are in the Lord. And now we see the reasoning, and we talked about the heart motivation last last time, but we see the inspiration, we see the internal impetus toward obedience, and that is to honor your father and mother. That that's the reason behind it. So, how would we define honor? To put this very briefly, we would just simply say to honor your father and mother is to hold them in the highest possible esteem and respect as unto the Lord. To hold them in the highest possible esteem and respect as unto the Lord. We're not just talking about outward signs of respect. Anybody can fake that, but this is to, if I can put it this way, hear your parents with respect, to listen through that filter. Not because parents are perfect, not because everything they do is right, but because God said so. Maybe some of you have made this complaint, and I've heard the complaint, that it just doesn't seem reasonable for a parent to give a a demand or a command and when asked for a reason, when the parent answers, because I said so. And we say, well, that's, that's unreasonable. Actually, that's completely biblical and completely based on the concept of honor. Because listen, it's not because I said so. It's because I said so. I'm your father. That's enough. And based on the concept of honor, that should be enough. Now, to help us understand what it means to honor your father and mother, I think it's helpful for us to, to understand the context of the original command, the source of Paul's admonition. So, we're going to walk through a few of these. Turn back with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, we'll kind of take a little tour here through part of the Torah, through part of the Pentateuch. Now, broadly speaking, and this is a generalization. But the first four commandments deal with one's heart attitude toward God, one's love for God, and the last six deal with one's heart attitude toward mankind, or as Jesus summarized it, love for God and love for your neighbor. These are covered in the first four and then in the last six. And so let's just walk through these, kind of gauge our context here. Exodus chapter 20 And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So what is God doing here? He's asserting that he has the sovereign right to make laws for Israel. Why? Because he rescued them. He owns them. He is the sovereign. He is the king. And they are the underlings. They are the vassals. Verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. The first commandment speaks to the exclusivity of, of the worship of Yahweh he's not to be treated as simply one of many gods there's one true god there's one living god and so it's exclusive worship in the verse 4 you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth you shall not bow down to them or serve them for i the lord your god am a jealous god visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So the second commandment indicates that the true believer is not to make images to bow down for the purpose of worshiping and, and venerating them. But the broader application of the second commandment is that God regulates the worship of himself, that he gets to decide how we worship him. This has been expressed in the Reformed tradition as the regulative principle that our worship of God is only prescribed by God and not things that we get to make up. Only God prescribes worship. And then we see in verse 7 You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The third commandment reminds us, and listen carefully to this, the use of God's name in any context creates an atmosphere of worship and it is either right worship or it is heretical worship but the use of his name in any context immediately creates a a, an attitude or a time of worship and either it's right or it's wrong but if we want to broaden that out even more to take his name means to bear his name to have his name to have the name of the lord to claim to be one of his And this is weighty. This is is mighty. I've told my kids when they're little, don't forget that I'm giving you my name. Don't mess it up. Don't make it besmirched. Don't dishonor it. Number 627 says that God places his name on his people. That is a mighty, mighty privilege. He didn't name us, for example, here in the New Testament time. He didn't name us as those people who are vaguely related to my son. He named us Christians. We're named after his son. And so the faithful Jew was not to claim to be a worshiper of Yahweh, to bear his name, and yet be a blatant lawbreaker and rebel. Then we get to verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. This is the sign of the Mosaic covenant, the unique reminder of the provision of God for the covenant nation. It was an expression of honor towards him. So now we've focused our attention on the proper honor that's due toward God. The the outworking of honor toward God now finds its expression in honor toward people and specifically toward God's representatives. Now, if you were guessing, who would you guess that the first representatives of God on earth ever given are? It is Father and Mother. They're God's representatives. That brings us to verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. I think a useful way to understand the scope of this command is to look at how weighty and substantial this is elsewhere in the law. So we'll take just a little brief tour here look at the next chapter in exodus 21 verse 15 we immediately get the seriousness of this law whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death now everyone has heard of the problem of child abuse few have heard of the problem of parent abuse it does exist and it's most prevalent among teens but even younger children and some families have gotten in the habit of hitting parents And now, because our government threatens to take children away and that they've outlawed just about every form of parenting, we're afraid to stand up to our own children. That some form of assault, some form of controlling behavior happens, which can include stealing money, threatening to make uh, false accusations. I have personally been involved in cases where children have sent a dad to prison for something he didn't do. I've seen this. This is a, a flagrant rebellion against authority, and it's a child headed for tremendous trouble in life. How serious a violation of honoring father and mother is this? In Israel, it's punishable by the death penalty. This is not the only time we'll see this. But God is even more serious about honor than we might have thought. It, probably everybody would say, you know, if, if a kid is literally beating on his parents, something has to be done about that. But God takes this to a whole new level. Look two verses later in chapter 21, verse 17 whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. This is one of several major words in the Old Testament that speak of reviling. And a reviler is specifically somebody who cuts people down with words to make himself big by making somebody else small to insult them. And listen, in Scripture, and we did this study on Sunday night a number of weeks ago, To be a reviler in Scripture, this is not just a a, a momentary one-time lapse on the part of a child or on the part of an adult, for that matter. This is the regular, habitual, verbally tearing down of another person, in this case of a parent, as being less worthy than you, undeserving of your love. And this also was worthy of the death sentence. That a kid who would curse his father and mother it doesn't mean to use bad words. It means to badly characterize them. You are not worthy of my respect. You are not worthy of my honor. To say those words was to incur the death penalty. Now, why do you think the Lord is so serious about honoring parents? I think it's very obvious to us here because a society that makes it okay to dishonor parents eventually dishonors all authority And now you have a society of entitled brats who can't function in the world. And then they become politicians because they can't do anything real. Let's see how the honor works itself out in other parts of the law. Go over to Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19. Now in this section, the Lord is giving Moses a portion of the law to give to Israel. And he gives Moses an introduction. Here's how I want you to introduce this part of the law. Let's see how God wants Moses to begin. Leviticus 19, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. And you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. This is stunning. Because what the Lord does is he immediately gives a summary of two of the Ten Commandments. He gives a summary of the fifth and the fourth. And why is this so powerful? Because if you're keeping Sabbath from a heart of love for the Lord, you're very likely also keeping the first commandment to have no other gods before you. The second commandment, no images that God regulates his own worship. And the third commandment, that you're not bearing the name, you're not misrepresenting the name of Yahweh. And if you're honoring your father and your mother, who have told you, sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Seventh, you shall not commit adultery. Eighth, you shall not steal. Ninth, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And tenth, you shall not covet what others have. If you're obeying the fact that they've told you that over and over and over again, now you're honoring all authority on earth. With just that little short summary, your focus on worship of God and your focus on honoring authority is taken care of. Amazing, amazing, stunning statement by the Lord. Now God gets back to the seriousness of honoring your parents. And once again, we have a deadly warning against dishonoring them. Leviticus chapter 20, verse nine. Again, for anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. This is radically different than our psychologized culture that says blame everything on your parents this says blame it on the kid it is his own fault he has made that decision but i want to show you the context this comes right between two other uh, two other admonitions here verse six if a person turns to mediums and necromancers whoring after them i will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people I and mean, that was horrible this was a, an idolater of the worst kind but then you go to uh, verse 10 if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death what does the one who dishonors father and mother, who curses them, what, what does he get lumped in with? He gets lumped in with the idolater and with the adulterer. The worst of the worst of the worst. God provides more detailed commentary on this in Deuteronomy. Just listen, you don't have to turn here. Deuteronomy 21, beginning in verse 18 If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and though they discipline him will not listen to them then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives and they shall say to the elders of his city this our son is stubborn and rebellious he will not obey our voice he is a glutton and a drunkard then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones so you shall purge the evil from your midst and all Israel shall hear and fear. The child who would not obey was literally considered a threat to the entire society. Can you imagine how different our society would be if every 16-year-old who was shaking his fist at all authority was taken care of like this? I'm not advocating that, but what would it be like? We would have a peaceful place. It's interesting that the Old Testament never once records the actual carrying out of a death sentence toward a child or a teen, but just the threat of it. Imagine the father reading this text to his family and saying, let's open our Bibles tonight and have those kids shaking in their boots. The child who would not obey was considered a threat to the whole society. Let's keep going forward. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, very familiar passage to us. How was the faithful Israelite family to attempt to prevent rebellion, to engender a love for the Lord, to engender a genuine, humble, internal, authentic faith in Yahweh? Well, in the great proclamation of loyalty and fidelity to the Lord, the Hear, O Israel, the Shema, God prescribes how. Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. One theologian calls this, quote, the great charter of Christian education, unquote. And while I greatly respect that theologian and have great concerns about public education in our country I couldn't disagree more vehemently because he's completely ripping it out of its context to say that that's an application that's plausible but it's such a lower order idea than what the real purpose of the passage is the real purpose is found in verses 1 and 2 Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land in which you're going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. This isn't an idea about Christian education. This is how to save the life of your family by teaching them to obey Israel's about to go possess the land promised to Abraham and they've never existed before as an independent nation. They've never had that existence. And if Israel wants to be a nation that doesn't incur the judgment of God, if they want to be a nation which enjoys the favor of God, then the children are to be taught the word of God, the law of God, taught to obey their fathers, taught to obey their mothers because that will literally save their lives and literally save the society. What happened to Israel and Judah as you go ahead in history? The Lord dealt with them. Israel carried off in 722 BC by Assyria. Judah carried off in in 605, then 597, and finally in 586 by Babylon. And what was it that would need to happen for the nation to repent? The Old Testament tells us that a forerunner would come who would turn the hearts of fathers to their children children to their fathers that the basic foundation of respect for your parents had to return because that's what believers do and if Israel wanted to be a nation which didn't incur the judgment of God then they would teach their children to obey the scriptures now how we educate our children can be a part of that certainly has been in our family but listen you can create a little Pharisee in a Christian school just as easily as you can create a little reprobate in a public school Both are possible. But there is a clear and decisive principle here that the honoring of father and mother is the context of all the law. It's expressed in the hearing and obeying the word of God from parents and it can literally save the life of the child. Let's do one more. Look at Deuteronomy 27. Now remember that in Deuteronomy, Moses is giving last instructions to Israel before the conquest before they settle into the land that God will give them. In Deuteronomy 28, the very next chapter, God will outline the blessings and the curses of God upon the nation should they obey or should they disobey. And in chapter 27, Moses starts rifling out these these bullet point reminders, last minute pleadings to remember. He's like a mom when the kid is going off to college and she's yelling out instructions, don't forget to brush your teeth, don't forget to wear clean underwear, don't forget to change the oil in your car, don't forget to do this just rifling out these last minute instructions and for this giving of the last minute instructions just to make sure they got it the people were to respond with everyone amen so be it to every instruction now what's going to come first the right worship of Yahweh guess which one comes second Deuteronomy 27 verse 15 the first one we get Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image an abomination to the Lord a thing made by the hands of a craftsman and sets it up in secret and all the people shall answer and say Amen and next Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother and all the people shall say Amen Let's try that Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or mother All the people said Amen Right You should make your children do that That would be really good for them so what does it mean to honor your father and mother? highest possible esteem and respect as unto the Lord. Hold them in the highest possible esteem. Let's do a second question. What are the larger implications of honoring your father and your mother? What are the larger implications? I want to give you five of them. First of all, honoring your father and your mother provides a tangible model for honoring God. Provides a tangible model for honoring God. In Malachi chapter 1, God is condemning the priests of Israel after the return from exile. You don't have to turn there. They had already grown corrupt. They were already, already going down the wrong road. And so God calls these priests to repent and to obey as they have obeyed their parents and their masters in the past. And this is what God says in Malachi 1 verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? He says, you, you honored your father, you've honored your masters. Why are you not honoring me? That's the model I gave you. As a matter of fact, Jesus pointed out that honoring father and mother is second only to honoring God. He emphatically endorsed the fifth commandment multiple times. But Jesus makes a a significant claim. He makes a claim to deity by setting himself up as first over and above even those family relationships. Matthew 10, 37, he says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. His point is, is that the greatest honor due in human relationships is due to father and mother except for one, only Christ is greater than that. In other words, whatever you did to honor your parents is generally what you do to honor the Lord even more. You listen, you obey without questioning, you love and cherish His commands as the word of life. a second larger implication, honor for father and mother provides a precedent for honoring other forms of authority. It provides a precedent for honoring other forms of authority. Wives are to submit to husbands as to the Lord, Ephesians 5. Honoring honoring your parents is training to do that. Whenever I've done premarital counseling, and if I get a sense that a young lady has never really obeyed her parents, I tell that guy, you need to run because she's going to ruin your life. Husbands are to submit to Christ in cherishing and loving their wives. Honoring parents is training for this. If, if I see a young man who's gotten his way the whole time, he's not going to be able to cherish his wife. He's going to be selfish. He's going to be domineering. All believers are the submit to governing authorities. First Peter 2.17 says, We honor the emperor. It's the same word that Paul uses to honor your father and mother. All believers are the submit to legitimate authority in the church. And there's no ambiguity about this. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. There's no hidden Greek meanings there. Obey means obey, submit means submit. By the way, even children who don't come to faith in Christ as quickly as you hope that they would, you're still training them to honor authority and you're benefiting them, you're benefiting our society by doing that and you're honoring the Lord by doing that. There's a third larger implication of honoring father and mother, This provides a precedent for honoring all people. Provides a precedent for honoring all people. Ephesians 5.21 tells us what a mature believer in Christ does, that he, he is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You ever been around someone that you can tell is the legend of his own story, and everyone else is lower than him? He didn't learn to honor his father and mother. This doesn't mean placing yourself continually under the authority of others. That would just be chaos. But it does mean, in a certain sense, that in a given circumstance, you honor someone by being humble and taking the second place. At our women's retreat this weekend, we did a Q&A time, and one of the ladies sent in the question and said, that as a wife, do I confront my husband about sin, even though I, I'm, in the, I'm in the place of submission? And the answer is absolutely. Because you're not only his wife, you're his sister in Christ. And you have every right to say, I need to talk to you. What should a godly husband do? He should submit to that. And he should say, absolutely, how can I serve you? There's a fourth bigger implication. Honoring father and mother provides positive family pride. Honoring father and mother provides positive family pride. Now, family pride can be taken to an idolatrous extreme in which... In the name of family we even protect sin and we and we hurt others. I've seen that. But Proverbs has something to say about positive family pride, the sense of knowing your family has a purpose and has a closeness together. Proverbs twenty seven eleven. Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad that I may answer him who reproaches me. This is beautiful. This is basically a father saying, Prove that my parenting was okay that when people come to me and accuse me of being an incompetent father, all I have to do is point to you as proof that it's not true. In a culture in which multi-generational family interaction is not valued anymore like it used to be, it's very refreshing to read Proverbs 17, verse 6, that grandchildren are the crown of the aged and the glory of children is their fathers. I think for the most part, gone is the day where kids say my dad is bigger than your dad but this is what this is saying the glory of children is their fathers they're proud of their parents they choose to view them with honor I I know that no one has perfect parents I know that maybe some of you even have parents that that were very very difficult and maybe continue to be difficult but they did give you life they did bring you into this world and they were not 100% wicked they did give you good things and so you can thank the Lord for even those things And instead of blaming our parents, if we honor them, you know what that also provides? That provides ease of forgiveness as well. Let me do one more implication about honoring your father and mother. This also provides security for parents later in life. This provides security for parents later in life. Now we're going to go contrary to our culture completely right now. In fact, turn with me to Matthew 15. We'll be there in a moment. The admonition in Ephesians 6 is to obey this is given to children who are still under the authority of their of their parents it doesn't extend for a lifetime though particularly when the child gets married we've said this before the allegiance changes the loyalty changes but the admonition to honor never goes away and this is a concept largely lost on our culture and and it shouldn't be lost it shouldn't be taken away Children ought to honor their parents by making sure their parents are financially taken care of. The original 401k was to have more kids. How would you like your retirement to be? Let's get pregnant again because we want to live in Hawaii. Have more children. How do we know this? Because Jesus condemned the Pharisees for financially forsaking their parents and worse, and this was the worst part, doing so in a way to flaunt their so-called Hyper-spirituality. Look with me at Matthew 15, verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, Man, if you're ever in an argument, get Jesus on your side, because he's so good. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Now stop right there for a minute. What what are they doing? They are saying that I have this little bit of money and it wasn't going to be much. This little bit of money that I would have given to you, mom and dad, but I'm going to give it to the Lord instead. Instead of supporting you, instead of helping you, I'm going to give this to the Lord. Now listen carefully. Jesus is not just condemning them for doing that. He's condemning them for teaching everyone else to do it. And guess where they get their money? They get their money very often from the temple tax, from the extra offerings that are given to the temple. So in other words, they're teaching something to line their own pockets by teaching people to dishonor their parents. And he condemns them in verse 7. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. And he excoriates them for their hypocrisy. They don't want to honor their parents. They never have wanted that. And so they give some small pittance to the temple and they tell their parents, I gave it to God. And what does Jesus call them? Hypocrites. By the, time, by the way, every time in the Gospels, Jesus calls someone a hypocrite. This is not a disobedient believer. This is an unbeliever. Because true believers honor their parents. 1 Timothy 5, beginning in verse 4, the Apostle Paul clearly tells us that family supports family financially. Our beloved Dr. MacArthur wrote this. Honor of parents encompasses providing for them when they can no longer provide for themselves. Just as parents spend 20 or so years taking care of and providing for their children, their children are to spend whatever time and money is necessary to care and provide for their parents should the parents be no longer able to do so for themselves. The implications of honor go for a lifetime. And so if you are still in the working world and you have living parents, you have a responsibility. That's not over. You don't say, sorry, mom, sorry, dad. You should have done better with your 401k. Can't help you. You should do better as a son. You should do better as a daughter. Let's do a third question and we'll just get very practical now for those of you who still have children in your home. What are some ways to naturally engender honor besides just insisting on it? Now, you can say, because I said so, and that is legitimate. Not very effective, but it's legitimate. So let me give you, just very quickly, and we'll kind of just rifle through these, 10 ways to naturally engender honor. 10 ways to naturally engender honor. First, physical affection. Physical affection. 13 times the Old Testament uses a particular Hebrew word, often translated to embrace, to hug. When Jacob was old, Joseph brought his own sons to him, and Genesis forty-eight ten says he kissed them and embraced them. But what does this mean? This had a meaning to it. The physical affection was a sign of acceptance. It was a sign of being special, a sign of being set apart as distinctive. And I would say it is, a, it is an easy statement to make that children of all ages need mom and dad to embrace them. My dad died when I was 37 years old. I would give anything for one more hug from my dad. Everybody here could say that. Listen, if you have kids in your home, don't let them walk by you without touching them. Just get in the habit of it. They're just going to know. Now, it might, you know, from a father to a son, it might be a less friendly touch. You might punch him in the arm that says, I love you. (laughs) To a daughter you're swatting her on the rear end as she walks by and you're doing whatever it takes to just reach out and say, I love you. And it's teasing and they're smiling, but everybody in the house knows I'm doing this because I love you and you're mine. I don't do that to other kids. If one of your kids walks by me and I punch him in the arm, you're going to punch me in the arm. (laughs) Our kids, physical affection. Here's another way to engender honor. Require a respectful verbal response. Require a respectful verbal response. You keep a child's attitude in check and you provide them an opportunity to honor you. Listen, when you address them for any reason, when you speak to them, their response needs to be devoid of whining, of disrespect. And if it has any of those qualities, now that becomes a behavior to deal with. That becomes the behavioral heart issue. If you don't require a respectful response, then you're sending the message that disrespecting you and disrespecting all authority is okay whether you require a child to say yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, or just okie dokie, whatever is respectful to you, they should know what your standard is and you should require it of them. Here's a third way to engender honor honor your children the way you want to be honored. Honor your children the way you want to be honored. Don't humiliate them in public, don't always be right don't forget to repent don't discipline them in public don't talk about them in the third person as if they're right not right there with you well my daughter is just a horrible i'm standing right here dad why are you saying this about me don't gossip about them why do you get to gossip about your children but not about other people do the rules not apply to your children in fact this is what paul warns about later in ephesians 6 don't provoke your children to anger Don't provoke them to anger. Parents who demand respect but won't give it create frustrated, angry kids. Here's a fourth way to naturally engender honor control the chaos to make family time important. Control the chaos to make family time important. Look, I I tell men this all the time. I, I have to preach this to myself too that if family time is not important in your house, it's your fault. It's my fault. If you don't make family time, if you don't make regular time to eat meals together, to do activities together, nobody's going to do it for you. Nobody's going to walk in and make your calendar. And if you won't do that, it sends the message that family and children are not that important and therefore honoring you is not that important. And this means, by the way, if you have teenagers, that you insist on family involvement as being more important than involvement with their friends. The friends they make when they're 15 are probably not the friends they'll have when they're 50. And so just let it be okay. And by the way, 10-year-olds don't need phones. And you don't bring them to the table. And family time is important. Here's another way to engender honor. And this is a hard one for us. Listen to your children. Listen to your children. The, the phrase, children should be seen and not heard, is categorically disrespectful. This doesn't mean children get to talk whenever they want as much as they want but it does mean that this is part of honoring them giving them a voice and yes, even a respectful voice to respectfully disagree with you. That is okay because you might be frustrating them and you are not omniscient. You don't know all the ways you're frustrating them. Your goal should be to build the eventual mentoring relationship that the book of Proverbs says you're aiming towards. Then they will turn to honor you all the more. I, I've done this, I've seen this more times than I can, I can count now. In a family where I begin to sense, and we're doing counseling, I begin to sense that the children are frustrated. And I tell mom and dad, I'm going to ask kids a question, and they do not get in trouble for whatever they answer. Do you understand that? And mom and dad says, yes, we understand that. And I say to a kid, and I've seen this with 5-year-olds and 15-year-olds, I want you to tell me what's really happening in your house. And almost without fail, the eyes start to well up because for the first time they get to actually have a voice. Listen to your children. Here's a sixth way to naturally engender honor develop and maintain family traditions. Develop and maintain family traditions. Traditions say safety, warmth, care, they provide tangible ways to express love to one another. I've spent a good portion of my life working with children with completely upside down chaotic families that completely failed them. And one of the factors I noticed in common with almost every failed family is that they don't have traditions. There's nothing that the kids can count on. One Christmas might be normal. Next Christmas, mom might be in jail. The next Christmas, I might be in the foster home. And every year it's different. By the way, the Old Testament law provides for the annual feasts of worship toward God, but the implicit Assumption is that these are held in the context of your family, that you have family traditions. Here's a seventh way to engender honor. Give one-on-one time whenever possible. Give one-on-one time whenever possible. Obviously, the larger your family, the harder it is to do this. You have to schedule time. You have to line them up. And next, take a number, and, and you have to do whatever it takes. But being intentional about giving your child some time just for him, just for her, is so key. It says, I care about just you, it doesn't have to be long but oh children crave time with their parents when our kids were little we just had a simple name for one-on-one time we just called it times and and the kids would look forward to that when when is my next time and they would ask about that this is easy and it bears the fruit of honor It bears the fruit of respect if, you, if you're running out to get a gallon of milk grab a kid take someone with you What would you think of the Lord if he said, I'll listen to you, but only in group prayer? You have to get together with others. Aren't you glad that we have a God who listens to you individually, who, as it were, would lay aside every other concern just to speak to you? Here's an eighth way to engender honor. Build memories with storytelling. Build memories with storytelling. I I think it's interesting that the Lord is a storyteller. He didn't just give us a theology book. He gave us a story. From Genesis to Revelation, it is a story. And he's inspired several written summaries of his relationship with Israel, for example. Psalm 77 is a short summary. Psalm 78 is a long summary. Stephen's sermon in the book of Acts is a long summary. In fact, the Bible uses the phrase, out of Egypt, 58 times. What is that? That's the heavenly version of the birth story. The birth of Israel. And storytelling in your family, it builds bonds. It says memories matter. It says that you matter. We repeat stories all the time. They should become part of family legends. Tell the stories over and over again. Here's a ninth way to engender honor naturally make children work. Make children work. By having regular duties at home, children show honor for parents, they show honor for one another. The older they get, the more useful that they should become, and it provides an excellent opportunity for them to learn to walk through life without complaining about everything. I'll be honest with you, I still remember leaving home and thinking I never have to take the trash out again as long as I live. And I get to my dorm room. (laughs) I start filling up the trash can. It gets fuller and fuller and it dawns on me, who's going to do this? Oh, I have to do it. Make them work. Teach them skills. Let them be responsible for parts of your home. Let me give you one final way to engender honor naturally. Require that they honor you by honoring themselves. Require that they honor you by honoring themselves. I'm not speaking about selfishness and I'm not speaking about any sort of narcissism at all. I'm speaking about the basics. That allowing children to be sloppy, allowing them to be unhygienic, allowing them to be unclean, sends a message that you don't really care about them that much. In fact, in the years that I was a director of an emergency shelter for children, and these were most often children who had just undergone the trauma, and it is trauma, of being removed from their home by the state, the first thing we had our staff do was to take them shopping. And it was amazing how a new tube of toothpaste, some new pajamas, a couple of nice shirts, and a new pair of shoes could engender a bond and a respect and a love between a staff member and a kid. We might call this the wisdom of mothers. The mothers who are always saying, make sure and brush your teeth. Your hair is out of place. You need Mothers, that's your job. Do it with gusto because you want that engendered in your children. Well, those are some easy ways to think about bringing honor to your home. But this brings us to an even bigger issue than the honor of parents. In God's economy under Moses, to even curse your parents was worthy of death. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that to curse someone in your heart is worthy of hell. One of the purposes of the law is to drive us to grace because if you understand the standard that every one of you have dishonored your father and your mother multiple, countless, infinite times, every one of you have dishonored authority, every one of you have dishonored God, Now, this isn't a family issue. This isn't a parenting issue. This is a violation of God's holiness issue. So, you needed a substitute to stand in for you. If I could put it this way, you needed a substitute who lived the perfect childhood that you didn't, who never once dishonored his mother, who never once dishonored his father. And, of course, this is Jesus Christ, who alone can stand in your place, who alone can be your substitute through his substitutionary death and the justification we receive through his resurrection. Well, I want to just briefly speak to those who are still under the authority of their parents. Most of them are upstairs. And so I can talk behind their back. But if you're here right now at this moment and you're still under the authority of your parents, can we see your hands? There you are. You know who you are. All right. Yeah, up higher. There you go. That's right. (laughs) I want to tell you two things and I say this in all love and in all seriousness, I want to remind you that how you honor your parents will pretty much determine how your life goes. And that is what Scripture says time and time again. You can dishonor them now. God will get you later. I promise you. He will make you honor authority. He will. And so I would just give you that warning. Honor your parents now and that will serve you for a lifetime. But the second thing I want to do is to remind you that you are a gift from God. You are the best thing that ever happened to your parents. Psalm 127, Psalm 128 tells us this. And parents, adults of all of these kids here, I know this is unusual and we're very formal at Grace Bible Church, but would you love these kids by giving them a round of applause because we love them. Yeah. Now kids, you don't take a bow because you didn't do anything. You were, you were God's gift. But what a beautiful thing if mom and dad, if you will engender honor by loving them and cherishing them and children, those under the authority of your parents, if you will engender honor by loving and cherishing your parents, that will serve you so well and that will make you somebody who is now obeying Ephesians 6, verse 1 for the kids, verse 4 for the parents, living in a manner, Ephesians 4, 1, that is worthy of the calling in the very basics of life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ which has preserved us from hell. You so graciously showed us the way to the cross. You so graciously have determined our destiny. You allowed us through regeneration to repent. You changed our hearts so that we might turn to you. And then you have done something so amazing. You have allowed us the privilege and the honor of demonstrating love to a God who needs nothing. You don't need our love. You don't need our affection. You don't need our worship. And yet you allow us the privilege of loving you, of giving you affection, of giving you worship. And in this world, you've given us tangible ways, ways that we literally can put our hands on, literally put our arms around to love you. And that is to honor our parents. That is to cherish and to raise our children, to love our family, to love one another in the church to love the body of Christ how beautiful that is that you who are a transcendent God you have made yourself known to us both through the person of Christ through your word but also through those that are around us that if we will love our neighbor then we are loving our God and our closest neighbors are those right under our own roofs and I pray Lord that we would be Parents who engender honor, I pray for any parent here who knows in his or her heart that he's struggling with rage, struggling with demonstrating anger in the home, struggling with being difficult to live with, struggling with making his children abusively fearful. I pray, Lord, that you would engender in those parents' patience, kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And I pray for any child here, anyone still under the authority of their parents who knows in their heart that they have claimed to know Christ and yet rebel on a regular basis in their heart or in their words or in their actions against their parents. Would you convict them of that sin? And would you lead them to repent, Lord, so that they might act in a manner worthy of the gospel? And Lord, ultimately, I pray that our families would represent Christ, such that the world would see and know that the gospel does change lives, that there is something to be said for a Christ honoring life. Lord, I thank you for all the families represented at Grace Bible Church. I pray that they would be sweetly obeying you, also that Christ might receive honor, that the word of God may not be reviled, and that God may receive honor and glory. We pray for your sake. Amen.